Well, I don't know if this is good news or bad news uh, to, to you, but just a heads up, we're not even halfway through 2020 yet. How many of you would say I'm over 2020, the year? Yeah, I am. I'm just going to tell you right now. But maybe it will get better. But so far, uh, pandemic and, and all kinds of other craziness. But God is at work. Uh, God is using this. God's used this pandemic. He is now uh, bringing to our attention again the, 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 the racial issue that exists not only in North America, throughout the world, and calling the church to be mindful of our responsibility. And it is certainly uh, God's providence that has provided us as a congregation the opportunity to think through our lives according to his word and, and considering what it means to love. We're in this year of 2020 vision. Come see what God can do. And we know that God can do great things. He can take what is dead and bring it to life. He can take what is dirty and he can make it clean. He can take what is broken and he can bring healing and hope. He has the power to bring peace. We can have peace with God, which brings peace within and peace with others. And it enables us to stand. And, and as those who have been called by his grace to impact our, our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. So we believe God can do great things. And we are seeking to see him do great things. And so the invitation stands, even in a year, but maybe especially in a year like 2020. Come see what God can do. Right now we're in the series where we're talking about seeing the need, the see the need for love. And there is a great need for love. Love is powerful. Love can change the world. Love is changing the world. And we can be a part of that, but we have to make the choice to love. Love is a feeling, make no mistake about it. But love is a choice. God commands us to love. So that lets us know it's more than a feeling. You can't always choose or determine your feelings, but you know you can, you can determine what you do. And what we are commanded by God to do is to love. Now, love is risky. Love can cause hurt to your heart. But if you abandon love, you abandon a big part of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. And so we seek to love. We seek to understand. And that's what we're doing with this series. We're trying to understand what is it God wants us to do? We started off the series talking about the fact that God wants us to love the ones we're with. And the main point of that is to understand that like grass, uh, love is healthiest where it is cultivated. And so we are to cultivate the love we have for those that are in our family, in our neighborhoods, all around us in every generation. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Hunter and Pastor Bill did a great job teaching us that we are to, to love our neighbors as is commanded by the word of God. And the main point was, there was that we love best when we love God first. We are to love the Lord our God with all that we are and our neighbor is ourselves, which fulfills all the law and the prophets and enables us to really pursue and recover God's design for our existence and for his glory. Today, the love is a little bit more challenging. Today, we're going to talk about God's command to love our enemies. This is not always easy, and it certainly takes the gospel and a great deal of maturity, but it is a wise way to live. The wise person avoids making enemies of friends and instead learns to make friends of enemies. This is made possible by the gospel. This is something that we can do in Christ. We can make enemies our friends with love. Now, right now, there, 
there are a lot who are not living free, not living wise, and, and as I said, they're, they're living like prisoners. Uh, this last week while I was away, I had the opportunity to do a, a lot of reading. Uh, I read uh, several books, several articles, uh, listened to a lot of conversations uh, about contemporary systemic racism and, and discovering a lot of things that I was not o- aware of and, and wanting to understand how it is we, the body of Christ, are to, to bring love and to bring light and to bring unity and to bring healing and hope into our current situation. Of the many things I read, uh, there was a story uh, about a man named Gawain. He was a, a black man who spent almost half of his life in prison. I was reading a lot about the, the injustice in the prison systems in particular. And, and he shared his story. At the time, he shared a story, he was about 40, and, and again, I believe it was just about a year ago or so when this went into publication, and he shared the fact that what he saw in prison was, was just basically a picture of what was happening in the whole world, uh, what happens when people are left to their natural inclinations. He said, see, when you go to prison, said they separate you by race. They don't, they don't let you be with another race in your cell. They always put people in a cell of the same race because it's safer. He said, you know, when you go to eat, when you go into large gatherings, the, the races always separate themselves because it's safer. One of the things he hated about it was that sometimes someone of his race would attack someone of the other race and it would create a, a massive altercation that he didn't necessarily want to be a part of, but he knew he had to because if he didn't stand up for them, in a time of need, they wouldn't stand up for him. He didn't like it. He didn't agree with it. But he understood that this was just how it worked. This is the world he was in. This is the world he saw. This is the world that made sense to everyone. So everyone lived inside of it until one afternoon when he had just a year or so more left in prison, he went to a Bible study. He went really just to get away from it. He had no intentions of paying attention. He just wanted some rest, really, from the, the whole conflict and altercation of reality. And what he saw there, he couldn't forget. He walked into a room and he saw people of different races studying the same Bible, praying, to care, praying together, and caring for one another. Now, he thought to himself, something weird's going on here. <laughs> and what he came to find was Jesus Christ. And having become a believer in Jesus Christ, he joined in this community in this new way of life, a life where he could love and be loved regardless of classism or racism. And and it really went against his nature and against what the world was telling him. See, the Christian life is a weird thing to the world. The Christian life is a life of love because God has loved us. We are free to love. And as Christians, we must stop living as prisoners. Stop living isolated lives in our class or race. We've got to get beyond those cultural or worldly norms and understand that the the world seeks to move us to be separate from one another because they get a lot of money and a lot of power from it. One of the things that I have seen in my study over the last few weeks is that there's a lot of people that get a lot of money and a lot of power in racism and in classism. And we need to wake up as people of faith and understand what is happening in our world and join Christ in the freedom that he gives in our love. Right now, our world is telling us to take sides. 
The world tells us to treat enemies, uh, those people who are different than us, that don't look like us, that don't live like us, that don't think like us, that don't vote like us, that don't watch the news like us, to treat them like enemies, to think of them as enemies, to be afraid of them, to see them as utterly different and, and, and those that we have to stay away from. Jesus calls us to a different way of life. Jesus calls us to a way of love. And this way of love is described in Matthew chapter five. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter five. And what you'll find there is the most famous sermon in the world, the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus Christ. And what this sermon is basically about is how someone can be a follower of his, a follower of Jesus. And, and if you look in your Bible, it's probably divided in a lot of different sections. The sermon is divided up into sections for us. And those are different sermon points that Jesus was making. And what I want to look at today is the section in, in verses 43 through 48. It is here that, that we can learn to live as disciples of Jesus and rather than a life of a lost person, a person who lives with love, even love for our enemies. Let's go now to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna begin in verse 43. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. As you are being seated, please pray for now the preaching of God's word. So right out of the gate in this sermon point, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus provides a gospel way of approaching our enemies. Notice what he says. Rather than living according to the law, look at verse 43. Rather than living according to the law, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus calls us to live according to the gospel. And what does that look like? He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Our call, the call of Jesus, is to love others no matter how they treat us. We are even to love, or maybe especially love, those who we consider or who they consider us to be their enemies. So what does that look like? How do we, as disciples of Jesus, show love to our enemies? And what kind of love is that? That's what we see in the rest of our text today. That's what Jesus reveals. And I want to encourage you to take note of these four, these four points. Understand, disciples show enemies a love that, first of all, is motivated by the Father's heart. It's motivated by the Father's heart. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. The way God has loved us is how we are to love our enemies. Friends, you cannot give what you do not have. If you have not experienced the love of the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, then you can't do this. 
you won't even understand it. It's beyond your comprehension because it's something you have to experience. And until you've experienced it yourself, you can't give it to someone else. See, the, the love that the Father has given to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, is a love you cannot earn. It's a love that is given by grace and received through faith. We can't make up for the wrongs we've done. It's impossible. All we can rely on is God's love and his grace to us. It is a love we cannot earn. It's, it's a love that is given at no cost. And it's a love that we would not seek unless the Spirit drew us to the Father. We are all born in sin. And yes, even though we are the image bearers of God, and yes, even though we still have love, that love is always tainted with sin. It's always tainted with selfishness. And without the gospel, without the love and the power and the work of God, our love will never be what it was meant to be. Now, only way we could get that love is for God to intervene on our behalf. And it's amazing not only how he intervened, but when he intervened. Romans chapter five, verse eight says this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not when we were trying to do our best. It wasn't when we were trying to make amends. It was when we were acting as traitors. It's when we were enemies of the kingdom of God. It was when we were being selfish and self-seeking and, and if not hating, there's so many people say, you know, I don't have a problem with God. No, what most people have is worse. It's apathy. There's nothing worse than apathy. Having no feeling, no care is worse. And that's where we all were in our sin. And while we were in that state, what did God do? He intervened. He stepped into reality and the good news of the gospel tells us that he's done everything necessary for us to be saved. The gospel is the good news. And three big things, that's the conversation we have to make disciples here at Living Hope. It says this, the gospel is the good news that Jesus is God and acted to rescue sinners from eternal death by becoming a man, living a holy life, dying on a cross to pay the penalty of sin and being resurrected from the dead. Jesus will give eternal life to those who repent and believe in him. Friends, the gospel is not an ideology. The gospel is not a philosophy. The gospel is not an opinion. The gospel does not belong to any particular group or person. The gospel is a historical fact. It is a known reality. The gospel fact is that God did not abandon us in our sin. When we look at three circles, we understand that God designed us. He made us to be in harmony with him. But that harmony has been destroyed because of our sin. Because of our sin, there's now brokenness. There's brokenness in our relationship with God. From, from birth, we are sinners. And so we don't have a right standing with God. And as we grow into our flesh and grow into our natural inclinations, we continue to sin. And that sin not only creates brokenness with God, but brokenness within and brokenness with other people. And this is where the worst things of the world come to be is because of sin, because we have abandoned God, because we are acting selfishly, because we refuse to, to look to God in faith. 
And that brokenness is what, is what made the, has made our world so awful. And yet God, holy, powerful, satisfied, complete God who does not need us but wants us entered into this broken world. And that's the gospel. God became one of us so that we could be made right with him. Our sin demands justice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The wages of sin is death. So what did God do? God came, lived a holy life, and he died for our sin. He made that sacrifice so that we can stop trying to make it on our own. We can believe that Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. We can turn away from our selfishness and self-seeking and look to Jesus, and we can get a new life, forgiven, peace with God, peace within, which gives us the power to have peace with others as we pursue and recover God's design. This is the will of God. This is the heart of God. God wants us to be like him. Remember, God's love came to us at a great sacrifice. Let me ask you something. What would you have to sacrifice to love your enemies? First of all, think about this for a minute. Who, who are your enemies? Who thinks of you as their enemy? What would it cost you to pursue peace with them? What sacrifice or sacrifices would you have to make to love them? Even if they wouldn't receive your love. Even if they continue to perceive you as their enemy. What would you have to do to love them? even when they were rejecting you. See, this is the heart of the Father. This is the love of God. This is, this is the love that says, I'm coming for you, and I'm gonna love you, and I'm gonna pursue you, and I'm gonna sacrifice for you so that you can have life, so that you can be made whole. Yes, Disciples show enemies a love that is motivated by the Father's heart. Second, disciples show enemies a love that channels the Father's kindness, channels it into, into our lives. And, and it's the Father's kindness that comes out. Look in the latter part of verse 45. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Understand that what Jesus is talking about here is common grace. God loves everyone and he gives common grace. Common grace is, is basic necessity needs met. So I know you haven't thought about this, but let me just remind you of this. Probably no one in this room in the last few minutes as I've been talking has been telling your heart to pump. It's just been pumping. And, and no one has told your lungs to breathe. They've just been breathing. And nobody in this room that I know of has been concerned about the oxygen levels. You've not been worried about making enough oxygen so that everyone can, can live. Instead, what you've done is you've just been living on common grace. The common grace of God gives 
basic sustenance, basic life-giving ability to all people. And God provides for all people, and God calls us to show kindness to all people, especially our enemies. Anyone can love those who love them. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Anybody can love those who love them. Anyone can love the people who come and say, oh, thank you for loving me. Oh, I so appreciate it. This is not the kindness that the Father has given to us or that he calls us to. It takes a transformed person to love with the kindness of God. It takes a very mature person to love with the kindness of God. See, to love with the Father's kindness, here's what this means. It means to love people for their sakes and not our sake. To love with the kindness of God means that we love people for their sake and not our sake. We don't look to love to gain something. We look to love simply because we've been loved. Most people don't think about it that way. Most people get married saying, okay, well, what am I gonna get out of this marriage? Most people get out of a marriage because they say, I'm not getting what I need or what I want out of this marriage. So many people in friendships say, because I'm not getting what I want. That's not the love that reveals the kindness of God. The love that reveals the kindness of God says, I'm gonna love you no matter what. Because I'm not loving you to get something from you. I'm loving you because I've been loved and I've been commanded by my king to love you. 1 Corinthians 13 is what many know as the, the, the love chapter. If you've got your Bible, why don't you go ahead and quickly turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. You will often hear this read at weddings because it is, it is beautiful, but I will say to you, it's more than beautiful, it's challenging if not downright painful because of what love demands and how short we often fall of it. If you look in verses one through three, it reveals the real problem, our problem. God's gifted people can do great things without love. That's a problem. So Paul writing to the church at Corinth, which was an unbelievably, spectacularly talented and gifted congregation, Paul points out a real problem here. He says, you know what? You can do amazing things and you can do it without love. Look what it says in verse one through three. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, though as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is writing to these people and saying, look, you guys are amazing. And you can do all this great stuff and you do this great stuff. Here's the problem. You don't do it with love, not the love of God. 
You do it with love for self, so who will congratulate you, so that you will be celebrated, so that you can get what you want out of other people. And he says to him, you gain nothing. It's nothing. Then he goes on to say, and this is painful for me, he reveals the possibility. God's love, people can love, but friends, love is not easy. It takes the gospel, it takes maturity. Look what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is that your love? It's not mine. Apart from the gospel, apart from the power of God, apart from growth in becoming more and more like Jesus, I'm not there. There are glimpses of it, certainly, by the grace of God. But look at that, friends. Isn't that powerful? That's love. But that's not a love that says, what can I get? It's a love that says, what can I give? Now, verses 8 through 13 kind of reveal the plan. God's people must be mature. Without maturity, we will live like spoiled, selfish children. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So then this verse 11, which always kind of trips people up. It's like, why is this here? That's, this is kind of the point. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Children only do what pleased them in the moment. Children always ask, well, what am I going to get out of this? What do I want? Okay, I'll love you, but I'm going to get something, right? Mature people, mature people, parent-like, say, I'm going to love you no matter what I get. I'm not going to love you for a temporary thing, for temporary gratification. I'm going to love you for what is best for you. I'm going to love you for what you need, not for what I get. And what motivates that? Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Because there's going to come a day when we're going to see Jesus face to face. And selfishness and meanness and, and terrible, ugly words are going to be re as ridiculous as they really are. They will be revealed as being as ridiculous as they really are. But no, at last, you know what really matters? It will be revealed when we see Jesus face to face. What ultimately matters is love. That's why he says in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. The greatest thing that we can become is a person who loves the way God has loved us. The greatest gift we will ever receive is knowing that the kindness of God, of the, of the heart of the Father, has been poured out into us and then through us, channeling the love of the Father and loving those who do not love us because it is what is best. That is what disciples of Jesus do. We love no matter how people respond. 
We love not to get, but to give. That is the heart of the Father. That is the heart of kindness. Let's go back now to Matthew chapter 5. Let's go to the third thing we need to take note of, and that is this. Disciples show enemies a love that engages with the Father's welcome. With the Father's welcome. Look in verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You know, one of Satan's best tricks is to isolate us. It's always been his primary strategy. To get us to run away from God, to get us to hide from who we really are, to hide from the needs of the world, and only do what is comfortable. That is the, that is the work of Satan, because what it does is it keeps us from being real, it keeps us from engaging God, and it keeps us from benefiting and enjoying all that comes in that community. Even though it's hard, there's something something glorious in it. And it begins with a welcome. It begins by receiving the welcome of God and engaging others with God's welcome. God calls us. He welcomes us. Isaiah 55, one says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. <laughs> Look at this. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Does anybody else think that's odd? There's no way to run a business. It's not a business. It's a family. It's the father saying, come, you are welcome into my home. I will adopt you. What you can't afford, I will give to you. You you don't have the income for this. And I'm going to give you what is the desire and the longing of your heart. I'm going to Pour it out on you. Do you know this, uh, Isaiah 51, you know that this is what is said of the bride of Christ in Revelation 21, 17. Make note of that and go back and read that later. Look at the culmination of the fulfillment of this promise, of this power, of this invitation. This come, this this whole position, this, this way of being, this is what God calls us to. This is the Apostle Paul, Acts 28, 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. He even welcomed his enemies. He once wrote to his protege and said, the entire palace guard, the people holding me prisoner, the people who keep me in chains, they've all heard the gospel. They've come, they came to him, he welcomed them, and he shared the love of God. This is God's will. This is what God is calling us to. There's a story about uh, President Thomas Jefferson that I don't know if it's true, but I've always loved this story. He was riding his horse with friends, and they came to a, a rather high stream, and there was a man on, the end, uh, on one side of the stream that they were on, and, and he wanted to get across, and so he was looking for a free ride. And so he began to look in the faces of each one of the men who were riding with Jefferson. He got to Jefferson. He said, can I ride with you across the river? And all the guys kind of smiled and they said, well, he, he must have known this was the president. Now, strangely enough, back in those days, there were very few photographs, very few people even knew what the president looked like. So they take him across and once they get over there and he's dismounting from the president's horse, one of the guys said, hey, how did you know he was the president? At which the man became shocked and terrified and said, that's the president? I had no idea. And they said, well, why did you ask him? 
And he thought, and he looked at him, and he said, well, when I looked at his face, his face said, yes. His countenance was welcoming. Friends, when people look at you, what do they see? I'm busy. I'm important. I'm smart. I've got my act together. I've worked really hard to get where I am. Or do they see, I'll help you. I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll care for you. I'll do whatever I can for you. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter how you feel about me. I will welcome you. What do you need? This is the face of God. God says, come. And he calls us with the same love to say to other people, come. You're welcome. Join the journey. Be a part. We're to show the love that engages with the Father's welcome and last. Disciples show enemies the love that prays for the Father's blessing. Let's jump back to verse 44, again, where we started. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Friends, the most important thing you can pray for another person is for their salvation. Because once a person is saved, they experience the promise of God. The promise of God, Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What does that do to a person? It changes everything. What would happen in North America if Millions of people began to experience that. What would happen if literally millions of people of all classes, of all races, got new hearts, new lives, complete forgiveness, walking in the hope of Jesus Christ? Our world would know what hit it. This is what we're praying for. Friends, the greatest thing we can do is pray for someone's salvation so that they can experience the transformation that comes with the promises of God and those who are saved. And then we pray God's blessing. I, every Sunday, I end the service praying the Arianic blessing over you. Numbers chapter six, beginning in verse 24. Pray this for your enemies. Pray this for those who perceive you as their enemies. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, this is what we are called to pray, to pray for salvation, to pray for the Lord's blessing. Jesus finished this point in the sermon. And again, this is just a point in his sermon by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Friends, living out this kind of love is a revelation of the righteousness of Christ in the world. This is how we are the body of Christ. We are his love incarnate in the world. Let me ask you a very personal question. Do you have that love? I'm not asking do you go to church. I'm not asking you are you religious. 
I'm not asking if you know information about the Bible. I'm asking you, have you been forgiven of your sin and have you received the eternal love of God and been given a new heart and a new spirit to live within you? If you have not, you need to. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you today would like to get a new life in Christ, if you would like to know and be filled with this love, then say a prayer like this. Say, God, please forgive me. I admit I'm selfish. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe he's alive. Please fill me with your life, Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Again, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you have prayed that prayer, but you're not living this love, ask God to help you. Ask God to show you what's wrong with your heart, what's wrong with your attitude, what's wrong with the way you're, you're approaching him and yourself and your world. And repent. And renew your faith commitment to him. And now thank him. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for his love. Father, we thank you. We trust you. We believe you have the power to transform our lives, our church, and through your church, the world.